Good morning and welcome to WSAU Feedback. I'm Maggie Ellison. Thanks for joining me this morning. I have back-to-back guests this morning, so it's going to be a full lineup. First guest this morning, Jessica McBride, investigative journalist extraordinaire from Wisconsin right now. Check out their website. They are the go-to source in Wisconsin for conservative news, for fair and balanced news. Jessica, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for the nice introduction. Oh, you're welcome. So I want to ask you, um, well, first of all, I know it was a a very sad day down in Milwaukee, really, in the state of Wisconsin after the funeral of the slain Milwaukee police officer. And I know that you and Jim were at that funeral. I presume that it was just as as expected, very somber. And I mean, just I, I, I mean, I've seen the police processions for uh, police officers that have been killed on the line of duty, uh, in the line of duty here, there was a a, a police officer that was, that was murdered uh, a number of years ago here. And it's just, it's something that just, I will never forget. I mean, I, I I remember just the, the, the number of uh, police law enforcement vehicles and just, just the, I guess the, the realization that among all law enforcement officers that that this is something that could could have happened to them as well and their families could be grieving uh, their loss as well. Um, the funeral was incredibly moving and you know by all accounts Peter Jerving was an incredible person like I really I know people always say that when someone dies tragically but I really think in this case he he was an outstanding person and police officer by all accounts and you know it's it, it was incredibly sad. And then I was thinking about it, you know, yesterday, several days later, and just realizing anew, like everyone kind of moves on, right? We move on to the next story and officers have to get up and put their uniforms on and go back out there. But he doesn't get to, right? I mean, what he has lost is just monumental. Like he will never wake up again, right? He never gets to marry his girlfriend. He doesn't get to have children. He doesn't get to go out with his friends again, which you can tell from the photos they played at the funeral that he loved to do. And it's just such an extraordinary sacrifice and loss. And the other feeling I have is just anger because Mm -hmm. I, I think what city officials in Milwaukee have done to the Milwaukee police department is, is, is absolutely, um, horrific. I mean, they have destroyed that once very proud police department. And I, I, I say that with, I don't even think it's hyperbole. Um, they've depleted the size of the force. They're extraordinarily short staffed. They've done this gradually throughout the years, an 18% at least reduction in, in force strength since the mid 1990s. Um, the officers, you know, are stretched thin. They don't have the ability really anymore to do proactive policing because of of a settlement the city agreed to rolled over, you know, with the ACLU, which has completely stymied proactive policing in the city. It just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, Traffic stops have plummeted. Uh, Field interviews practically don't exist as a result of this agreement. It's called the Collins Agreement. It it just goes on and on. I mean, the, the morale, you know, on the force is absolutely terrible. The hiring standards, I'm sure, are lowering because of a recruitment crisis, because officers are 
you know, leaving for suburbs and things like that. And um, I just and then you, you have a situation where these officers go and they put these you know, criminals behind bars and they're immediately back out, you know, on low bail amounts. Uh, the court system is backlogged by two years and in some cases. And so these these individuals remain on the streets for two years after committing crimes to reoffend. Then they get weak sentences if they get in front of a judge, if the district attorney prosecutes them because he has a 60 percent non-prosecution rate. Like it goes on and on. And it's it's almost criminal what they've done to that police department. So, you know, I know there's a lot of anger among officers over that. And it almost felt somewhat inevitable that eventually an officer would pay that that horrific price. And and I would conclude with this point, you know, I covered the Milwaukee Police Department in the mid-1990s, which was the previous violent crime heyday in the city. Violent crime was highest back then with the Dahmer era and so forth. And then it went down for years and years. And then, of course, it spiked back way up even over the 1990s levels. And what I've always seen and observed is that when, when crime is allowed to grow very high in a community, um, officers tend to lose their lives and they're the ones intersecting with crime, you know, day in and day out. And so in the mid nineties, in the midst of that violent crime heyday, we did have a number of officers who, who died in very horrific, you know, tragedies and shootings. And, um, then when crime went down, we went literally, I think over a decade without an officer being shot and killed. And now we're right back. We've had, I think, five officer deaths, you know, in the last five years or so. So when a, when a city and a community allows violent crime to grow unchecked because of all of these bad policies they've implemented, you know, unfortunately, it's officers that often pay the price for that. And that makes me and a lot of people very, very angry. Well, law, law enforcement suffers, but then also... The public does too, because uh, crime rises when there are when law enforcement officers aren't respected by our elected leaders, and and uh, crime victims are are at, at peril as well, or, or those of us in the community are at peril because of Democrat policies. Well, speaking of law enforcement, I know that you have been following, as I have closely, this state supreme court race, and uh, you know we. Both you and I agreed, uh, I don't know how many months ago that we were we were going to we were going to try to remain neutral on this and and try to to actually just just to tell. Well, I I would say I told my listeners that there are two solid judicial conservatives that are running on that that can represent us in the state supreme court, and there are two that, on the left that are that would be a a disaster to the state of Wisconsin and a disaster to what I would say law enforcement and uh, what we have discovered over the last, well, what we've observed, I guess, and what I've observed with great dismay over the last, well, I guess it's been month, is that uh, one of the conservative candidates has been attacking the other conservative candidate. And what uh, what I had resolved to do was to continue to 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 preach unity because we cannot afford to lose this we cannot afford to lose the seat but unfortunately because of the the unfair and really 
uh, untrue attacks against Judge Jennifer Doral by former Justice Dan Kelly, we, we have to, I feel as if I have to call it out. What say you? Yeah, I mean, at Wisconsin right now, we, we thought about this long and hard, and we, we decided not to endorse in the primary. The calculus is what you described. I mean, they're both conservative, right? And we've focused our limited energy and time on largely on Janet Protasiewicz, who's the incredibly awful, extraordinarily partisan liberal who's, you know, trying to get through this February primary. Um, I will say that we have observed as well that, you know, Kelly and his supporters, especially, you know, Shelly Grogan, we keep hearing about this, she's an appellate court judge, have gone pretty scorched earth on the other conservative in the race, Jennifer Doral. And, you know, there's direct mail that I've seen and, you know, just heard accounts behind the scenes where there seems to be this narrative as to, from the Kelly side, as to is Jennifer really a conservative, blah, blah, blah. Um, what I will tell you is I think I find this competition behind the scenes. I mean, I guess I don't really see Doral engaging back in it, but um, as to who is the most conservative conservative, I find it to be unhelpful um, because if Jennifer Doral gets out of the February primary, you know, we know we need all conservatives to come out and vote for her. I mean, because if you can't see the difference between Jennifer Doro and Janet Protasiewicz or Everett Mitchell, the other liberal, like I can't help you. I mean, right. there is a night and day difference between these awful liberal candidates and frankly, either Jennifer Doro or Dan Kelly. And so for him to say that he won't endorse her, or he, he might not endorse her, he won't promise to endorse her and to be raising all these questions, is she a conservative? I, I just find incredibly unhelpful to the ultimate goal of, you know, winning this seat. Um, I mean, I would remind your listeners, which I'm sure they all know by now, that there's so much at stake here. If if we lose the seat, the consequences are absolutely monumental. Um, you know, I it, it will be outright liberal control of the court. And Janet Protasiewicz has made it incredibly clear what she will do with that power. Um, she will help you know, undo legislative redistricting maps, which is why we have a Republican-controlled legislature. They'll redraw the maps. The court will redraw the maps and give the benefit to the left. Um, Act 10, she has said, is unconstitutional. So look for them to actually unravel Scott Walker's key reform. Obviously, abortion, the 1849 law, that will be invalidated. She has made that clear. She has been more blatantly, like, clear about the partisanship that she w would exhibit on the court that any candidate for Supreme Court in Wisconsin history that I have ever seen. So how is it helpful to have the two conservatives like nuking it out or, or one nuking the other, I guess would be more, more accurate. Now the Kelly people say, well, Jennifer Doro's supporters run around saying that they don't think he can win. They don't think he's electable. I, I sort of find that a different argument than you're not a conservative. Well, questioning you know, or, or someone's credentials or integrity. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, because I think, uh, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you for a second, but no, I mean, just, just questioning someone's integrity, because if, if uh, what, what Kelly and his supporters are claiming that Jennifer Doro isn't a real conservative, well, then what, what you infer from that is that they're telling 
they're telling us that she's lying about it. And I mean, why would she bother? Why would she bother lying? She could just join the left side and and promote what 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 they stand for. But of course, th- this this uh, this ridiculous litmus test that is tied back to Brian Hagedorn and the fact that Dan Kelly has said that he made a mistake in in endorsing and getting behind Brian Hagedorn when he ran for state Supreme Court. Well, what does that say about Dan Kelly's judgment? If he indeed acknowledges that, yep, I endorsed I endorsed Brian Hagedorn and I believed uh, Brian Hagedorn. Well, what what is that? If he's admitting that he made a mistake, what does that say about his judgment as a justice on the state Supreme Court? Well, and I'll be clear, like if Jim Pivovarchuk and I, he he does Wisconsin right now with me, he's a former law enforcement officer. If we thought that Jennifer Dora was a secret liberal or secretly pro-choice or whatever the Dan Kelly supporters are trying to falsely make people think, like we would do that story. Like we would expose that. Like we did that in the governor's race when there were questions about Tim Michaels because he had served on boards that you know, pushed very liberal measures that fought against Scott Walker's reforms. We, we said conservative voters have a right to know that. And we did stories. We took a lot of heat for that. So we would tell people, but I'm telling you, she, she, it, she's not a liberal and she's not pro-choice. Like, I've known Jennifer Doro for 15 years. I'm not her personal friend, but I live in Waukesha County. She lives in Waukesha County. We've been in the same political circles for over 15 years. And I can tell you that I do not be- I believe she is a strong conservative. She might even end up more conservative than people think. She went to Pat Rob- Robertson's um, university. I think it's the same university Dan Kelly went to. Regent. She's clearly a woman of, of faith. That's clearly very important to her. That's come through in many interviews. She volunteered for years for Republican campaigns um, in Waukesha County. And she volunteered for years for the, the Waukesha County Republican Party and was involved with the Waukesha County Republican women. She's an appointee of Scott Walker. You know, when she was appointed by Walker, she, you know, talked about being conservative. Um, she's come out and, and, and said that she's pro-life. So I just, I know Jennifer Doro and I, I know she's conservative. And so I find these attacks and these direct mail pieces, I'll just say it again, to be incredibly unhelpful to the ultimate objective. And, you know, as I said, I mean, uh, both you and I talked about this before all of, uh, before there was any, I mean, right, I think, as Jennifer was getting into the race, and you and I both said, you know what, let's, uh, our our theory was, okay, we're, as long as, as long as the two conservative candidates remain united around the common cause to beat the the candidate on the left that will prevail in this upcoming primary i'm gonna, i'm going to stay out of this but for one to attack the other I, I, it just as you said it goes beyond unhelpful i mean it's just contributing to another republican loss and frankly i'm tired of it i'm tired of I, i'm i'm tired of being reminded of what happened during the gubernatorial primary and uh, during the gubernatorial race, and there were lessons learned. I learned lessons about that, and 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 I'm I I wanted to remain neutral until I could no longer remain neutral. Well, Dan Kelly, you know, I think is trying to to argue, perhaps 
somewhat flat-footedly that, you know, she doesn't have a history on, on an appellate court of, you know, con- you know, constitutional scholarship or something because she's a trial judge. But we've elected trial judges to the Supreme Court multiple times in the past, and they've ended up to be great justices. Diane Sykes, very conservative, now on the federal bench, is an example. Like, she was a Milwaukee trial judge um, before she was elected to state, state Supreme Court. Um, and that Ziegler, conservative, rock solid conservative, who is still on the court, was a, tr- a trial judge. So like, there's a long history of conservative justices being elected who come from Jennifer's background. And 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 frankly, if Jennifer was all over the place, you know, with all these writings and you know on conservative issues, you know, it might be harder for her to win the general election. We're not Wyoming, um, you know. She's she can fly a little bit more beneath the radar and that kind of stuff, which sort of tricks the media, if you will. I mean, I I would say that um, if I were running her campaign, I'd say run above politics. Right? People are tired of partisanship back and forth. Run is a different kind of figure. You're sort of above the, the partisan political process. I, I would tell her to run like Diane Sykes ran, and that's the kind of campaign, you know, Diane ran. I remember it. So I, I just, I don't, I just don't find it helpful. I'll say it one more time, like to the ultimate goal. And I think there's so much at stake. But I'll throw the, these wild cards out there too. I mean, all of this is probably going to be irrelevant if we get wildly outspent and we don't have a good turnout game, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a base election. Um, that's one argument Kelly has for just being out there in partisanship because you know, it's going to be low turnout. So it's sort of a game of who gets their voters to the polls. And then number two, like we can't be wildly outspent by millions and millions of dollars like we were in the governor's and attorney general's race and expect to win, so the big money is going to have to come in. And right now, Janet, for to say with, she's raised over a million dollars and she's ahead of the all of the other candidates. Jennifer has been raising, you know, good money. I, I think I saw that her last report was like 700000 which is pretty remarkable because she's fairly new in the race. So I guess I'm hopeful they can they can succeed in bringing in fundraising, but they, they need to, like... I see ads all the time. Like I have my computer on um, right now and there's digital ad after digital ad popping up, trashing Jennifer Doro unfairly. Every time I turn on TV, there's a, a, a liberal ad trashing Doro. Like they clearly think that she's the biggest threat to them. And they're trying to like beat her up pretty badly here going into the primary. Um, we've got to get the money game and the turnout game straightened out. Well, and, you know, let's just go back to one of these mailers that uh, ended up in my uh, mailbox. And, and just as you said about Kelly's campaign, it's unhelpful to be attacking your fellow conservative. Because if Dan Kelly loses and Jennifer Doro moves ahead to the general, then what kind of damage has he done in, in, in put, putting these these questions into conservatives, into Republicans' minds uh, as they go to vote or or if they make the decision not to go to vote because Dan Kelly has sowed some sort of seed of distrust among Republicans. Well, and I don't think it's true. I mean, if if she really was a liberal or something, you know, okay, well, then outed. But there's 
no evidence of that whatsoever, and there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. Well, rumor so and I innuendo. I don't think it's that's, true. That, yeah, well, yeah. right, and that's, I mean, that's the game of, of, really, that's the game of the left. The left is masterful at, at, at creating uh, some sort of distrust or, or, or some seed of doubt in someone's mind, and it's, it's shameful to me that a conservative that's that sh- really should be focused on what what's the end game in all of this the end game is that Janet Protasiewicz does not get elected to the state supreme court and it's really unfortunate that uh, that Kelly's campaign couldn't focus on on the the merits of 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 his candidacy and as opposed to attacking a fellow conservative that could potentially and probably likely will beat him in this primary. Well, hey, well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. I'm worried about his electability. Um, you know, I I voted for Trump in the past, so I'm not an anti-Trump person. I voted for him three times, actually. But, Me um, too. But Dan, but Dan Kelly was endorsed by Trump. Trump gave him a shout-out from a stage in 2020. This, this kind of thing, when he lost in 2020 by double-digit margin, of course, it was a Democratic presidential primary. I get that. It was an aberrant you know, election. But this kind of thing, the Democrats will wrap him in. You know, If he gets through the primary, they're just going to run on Trump. Um, they'll run on abortion. They're going to run on, on Trump. And I think those kinds of things... You know, in this current climate, um, lead people to worry about his electability. I mean, the, the fact is he he was a, a great justice, but we need the most conservative person who can win, right. I would say, as right. well. Um, yeah, there's concerns about electability. I know Mark Belling, the talk show host, conservative talk show host in Milwaukee, has been raising very strongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and we saw four years of Dan Kelly, and that's it. And we've, we've seen... Uh, almost well, twenty years uh, with Pat Rogensack, and I do indeed trust her judgment in in endorsing Jennifer Doro because obviously we all know that Rogensack was a solid conservative and remains uh, a solid conservative on the state supreme court. Well, we're out of time, or actually over time. Fashionably late, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Got to go to a break. Rolling right into the eight thirty news. A little tardy this morning.